0: Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Um, But uh, probably just my, my hardest day from Ushaka, now that I'm 40 and mature, obviously, was a day at a place called Ushaka Marine World with my three sons, where mom didn't come. But I decided I was going to keep up with these kids. If you don't know, it's about eight slides. You, you do each slide and then you run back up like a little mini mountain. It felt like it to me. I stopped counting at 50. That was one o'clock. We left at three. Uh, I, I, by the end of the day, we decided they were all finished. We went to the dolphin show at Hopos 3. Basically, felt like by the time I'd walked to the top of the stage, my blood had drained from my body. I didn't know I was still here anymore. The next morning, I felt like someone had been beating me with a stick on my back from 50, 80 slides, going down slides. But I loved it, and um, it, it was painful but amazing to see these little men and, and their life and their energy as they would run. The lifeguards at the top of each slide would wait for me and start laughing as I arrived. Because I'd obviously become that dad that they never expected to make it to the top again. But really amazing to be back and encouraged and full of life and uh, super excited about what God is doing in the city. And um, we are super excited. Maybe you haven't had a chance. We have had a chance to hear a little bit about what is happening. But our King and Lord and Savior is a pioneer. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, that Hebrews tells us. And I love that description of our king because he calls us onto pioneering stories and there's so many things that are happening but essentially we are launching a congregation a church into the city of Cape Town to the heart of Cape Town where there's all sorts of challenges all sorts of things I love the fact that just before I went on holiday I was talking to man I told him about what God was doing he says I can see that building from my office I said well maybe you need to come what you can to where you can see and just stories of what God has linked and I want to ask a few things, but maybe just say that this has not been a quick journey. This has been a long-time dream. About 20, 21 months ago, I spoke to my wife, Candace and to Gabe, and I said, I felt like God was going to do something with us in the city. We, we can't manufacture it. You can't find locations in the city, so God's going to have to do it. I felt like we'd do it with this man named Lomel Elhaber and his community, and I felt like we would do it in the St. Andrews Presbyterian Church. I couldn't tell you how any of that would work out. I just felt like we'd do it, and I knew, and I said to Gabe, I felt like I didn't have freedom to speak to Lowe or to the Presbyterian Church, and ask. I just didn't feel like I had the freedom. Anyway, long story. 18 months later, Lowe came to me and said, "I just want to tell you, I've been feeling for a long time like we would do something together. That God actually wants to do something in this building. This building that has seen. Can we put up a picture of the building? In built in 1827, 1824." So it's the first church in South Africa where slaves were liberated to worship freely. So it has a transformational, powerful history. It saw a revival in the 60s called the Hippie Revival in Cape Town, where hundreds upon hundreds of hippies invaded it every evening and worshipped the living God. And from that movement, churches have been planted, movements have been started. A powerful, powerful place with an incredible history. And we get to partner, and we're partnering with the Presbyterian Church in this. It's just exhilarating. They're going to come through and invite it to the worship evening. And and it's just exciting. God has done this and literally landed it on a plate for us. And I love the scripture in Ephesians 5 verse 14, 15 says, Be careful how you live. Uh, Be wise. Don't be foolish. And you can get a bit nervous with those things. But then it says, make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. Actually, make the most of every opportunity. And I love the fact that even the excitement on the Presbyterian side of things is amazing incredible. It caught me completely off guard. To be honest, I like to cross the T's and dot the I's and, and their passion and excitement. It was literally a five-minute meeting, a low sitting, telling them what we're doing together, want to do, and they're going, hmm, that look sounds great. I'm like, no, it can't be that easy. So they meet in the morning. We're going to be meeting an evening congregation meeting. Of, um, they will confirm the times and that down the line, but for now, we're having worship evenings. I would encourage you, it's not this Wednesday, it's the following Wednesday. Why don't you shut your life group down on Tuesday nights and rather come through on Wednesday night and worship in probably one of the most beautiful places in our city with the most incredible acoustics. And we're just going to worship Jesus together, inviting friends in the city and finding friends to come. Come be there. And if you can't be there and this is your community and that's, no, we are planning a church. So I'm going to ask, would you pray? Would you pray? Would you be a support to those that are going to be a part of it? And would you ask or say, how can I be a part of this? Because it's part of our story and pioneering. And this continues. And in many ways, it changes nothing for any of our Sunday morning congregations at all. But we're on a story together. Why? Because, again, if you're new to the church, we're not brights. So we put what we're on about on the wall. We want to reach far. We want to reach those who don't know Jesus. We want to reach them with the gospel with His love, with His grace and His goodness. So it's an exciting, exciting story, and God has got us on this journey. And that first scripture of Ephesians 5 was the one that God spoke first, and then there was a second story He took me to, which is Deuteronomy 1. It's famous, and and there are many um, bumper stickers that come with this scripture. It's a break camp, take the hill country, possess the land. It's powerful language. Christians get excited, but there's an incredible story a truth story, a powerful story of God's pioneering ways behind it. And we want to speak into that for the next three weeks before the Arise Ladies Conference and, and speak of what it means not just to go on a macro level of breaking ground, staking in, I mean, just a few years ago, we were essentially a morning congregation with a small crew that met in the evening. God has somehow orchestrated and He's changing things. We didn't, to be honest, I didn't move to Cape Town, stand on the mountain, see 12 lights across the city, say we're going to plant churches there. That didn't happen. But God has led us. God has added. We have life groups in the city and Camps Bay. We have people who drive through from Camps Bay every week to come to church. It doesn't make sense in some ways. And yet God has added to family and build. And And you got to know they're pretty excited because they can invite their friends and their neighbors to church without driving quite away. So it's exciting what God has done and what he continues to do with us. But I want to tell you it's not just happening with us as a macro level, at a church level, at a life changes level. God continually wants to do this with us at a personal level. He continually is speaking, calling us to break camp. There's some things we've got to leave behind. I'm more of a glamper than a camper, to be brutally honest. I'm just going to put it out there. And yet I've got into camping, so I've done it my way. I take a milk frother. I take a coffee machine. I'm the guy who puts the NutriBullet on at 6.30 in the campsite to grind my fresh coffee beans. I'm just confessing. I'm just telling you. I'm that guy. You hate me if you are a non-powered camper. I like electricity. I like it. And so I go kit it out. And so breaking all that down and leaving it behind, breaking camp, we arrived at a campsite two years ago at 7.30 at night. The sun was just going down. We thought we were good. We set up camp. It was all good. Until a car arrived with a GP license plate and said, that's my campsite. And we realized we were on the wrong campsite. And we had to break every single thing down in the dark. Move it and set it up again. It wasn't fun. I didn't pray blessings over anyone in that moment, I'm being brutally honest. I just broke camp. It's not easy, but I feel God's calling us individually all the time because of the more that He has for us. And I think to look at the story of His people and a lost generation who missed it, sometimes we always want to learn from those who've made it. So um, one of the great inspirational leadership writers wrote a book called Good to Great. Have you guys read Good to Great? It's a great book. And they studied these thousands of companies who went on these rises of greatness and what made them great. But I think the better book is the one that got less profile. It's called How the Mighty Fall. And he takes the same study of these good to great companies, and he looks at the companies that actually went the other way. And he asks the same questions, writes a book that is interesting. It shows us actually the number one reason companies fall hubris, the assumption that we will have continued success. The example of a Kodak building who sits in Rochester, 60 stories high, and yet it only owns one story of their own building because that company no longer exists because of arrogance and pride. Because the world changed. Anyway, good leadership book to read if you want to. But, but I want to tell you that there's a breaking ground dynamic that every believer is called to all the time. In our marriages, there are times we're going to have to break ground. What do you mean, Mark? Well, I'm telling you, you've got to move on sometimes. You've got to take more ground. You've got to take higher ground in God and in the promises that he has for you. Anyway, let me read the scripture because I'm getting excited. And we're reading from Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, just to give you context, is essentially a set of sermons by a guy named Moses who'd led God's people for years. And he led them through the Exodus, 40 years in the desert. He was their leader. He was their guy. He had called them to things and he was the guy that wanted to stone at times. He was the guy who did thousands of funerals. He's that guy. And right at the end of their life, sitting on the east of the Jordan, just having won two big battles, calling God's people to cross the Jordan. And him knowing he wouldn't go with, he writes a set of sermons, a motivational set of sermons to say, guys, trust God, obey God. He is faithful and he is kind and he reminds them of the character, the nature. He reminds them that God had promised the land and that God's gift of the land is undeserved, but God gave it. See, they needed that because a whole generation had missed it. It's amazing. Here's verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. That is, in the Araba, opposite Sap, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizabhab. Dizahab. Dizahab. Whatever that place is. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir road. In the fourteenth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. This was after he had defeated Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and the Edrai had defeated Og, king, Og, great name for a kid again, king of Bashan, who reigned in As- Ashtaroth. East of the Jordan, in the territory of Moab, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough in this mountain, at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land." The land God swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. This, He's writing this letter, looking across the Jordan, looking at the promised land, and he's reminding them of what God had spoken 40 years earlier. He says, this is what I spoke then. And a whole generation who were ready and prepared. And when he spoke it initially, almost 40 years earlier, they were ready to go. I mean, they were standing there. They were looking at the mountain. They were, they were ready to get across. They had appointed leaders. They had sent out spies. But what happened? Those spies came back and 10 out of 12 gave a negative report. And in that negative report, it forced them to change and to not listen to God and his call, but to wander in a desert for 38, 39, 40 years. A journey that should have taken 11 days, took 40 years. And we've got to learn from that. You see, we can learn from what makes us great, and we love that stuff. But I think often there's more learning in what actually hinders and limits. See, the challenges, God's people were so unhappy that they were talking about, they even got so unhappy they started talking about stoning Moses and Aaron. They're like, these guys are nuts. Meanwhile, Moses was the guy who had gone to King Pharaoh, with the plagues. Stuttering his way through, telling Pharaoh, let God's people go. He was that guy. He'd led them out of slavery and chains. They were ready to go, and yet God steps in and he says to that generation, he says in Numbers fourteen twenty three, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. Not one. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. There were only two people who didn't treat him with contempt. Those were the ones who came back with a positive report. Joshua, and he ended up leading God's people in. See, so the people wandered around a desert for an entire generation. Oh, Mark, how does that happen? No, it happens. I've seen it happen in people's lives too. Wandering in a desert for a lifetime. Why? Because they won't trust God. Why? Because they can't put their faith in God. Why? Because the enemies across the river seem too large. And we're going to speak into this the next three weeks because they were stuck, believing they couldn't go back to where they came from, where they were in, 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 in slavery, and they believing they couldn't go to where God had called them because of the enemies that stood there. They were stuck. It says this in Deuteronomy 2, 38 years passed. 38 years. How long did that guy sit at pool of Bethesda, broken. 38 years passed, and that entire generation of fighting men had perished from the camp, as the Lord had sworn to them. The Lord's hand was against them until He had completely eliminated them from the camp. Now, I know I've just given you a whole bunch of history, and you like, can't figure it all out, and Mark put a timeline. It is tricky, but it's it's this radical story. God takes a generation, shows them miracles, shows them wonders, and they doubt Him. And that whole generation, God says, will die off. They won't see the promised land. They will live in the desert. You can live in a desert. You can be very comfortable in a desert. You can get very good at camping. You can pack your nutri bullets and your coffee grinder so it feels like you're doing life normally, but you're not. You're waking up every other camper. Just what, sorry, camping joke. And... Um, So after 40 years of wandering, God's people are ready to cross. Moses speaks these words. He writes these sermons to encourage them, to remind them so that this generation doesn't miss it. And I'm telling you, in a generation-to-generation story, the Bible, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, there's always been a generational story in God's kingdom, always. And the challenges, the quiet generations go missing. This was a lost generation. They just went missing. They became great campers. They learned what it was to do camp and break camp and kept moving on, and they got really, really good at that. But God was looking for something else. He was looking for people of faith who knew how to follow Him regardless of what the circumstances looked like. He's still looking for those people, He's still looking for that generation. Will we be that generation? Every generation of Christ's followers is commissioned to advance the kingdom of God and advance the kingdom of God work across our world. And yet, too often, we settle for what the desert brings. And I'm going to speak about that next week because there's some good things in the desert that we can make really comfortable. See, this generation, unfortunately, are all too happy to sit behind TV screens or iPads and watch other people's adventures and other people's journeys. And we go on Instagram, oh, someone's climbing Mount Everest, and every three days they post a post, boof, at this thousand feet, and this many thousand feet. And somehow we feel like we climbed Mount Everest because we've seen the photo, but it's not real. We didn't do the struggling to breathe. We didn't do the preparation journey. We didn't feel and smell the smells that exist at the top of Mount Everest. All we got were Instagram photos, and I'm telling you, too many of this generation are happy to live secondhand stories of adventures. Especially in the church. Especially in the church. Why are we planting a church? Because Mark needs something more to do or well, Gabriel? No, because we've got people to reach. Because there are millions of people in the city and millions of people in the city don't know Jesus. And there are other churches, but God has always used a way of reaching them called church planting and activating the people of God. And He'll do it through you planting businesses. He'll do it through you planting yourself in, in suburbs and situations and cities to reach people for Jesus. But he's going to keep planting Will we keep being seed. I think that's the greatest challenge. Sometimes we think we become the tree and the Bible says you're just the branches. You're just the branches. Jesus will always be, has always been the tree. So many generations Ahead of us have stepped into amazing things, and there will be generations behind us who will step into amazing things. But if we really want to walk into more, we got to understand, well, what are camps? If we're going to break camp, well, camps are where we settle. We get comfortable. We, we make camp. We find trees and water and everything we need. We, I don't know if you've ever been camping, but for me, it's a full process. I scouted out the year before, and then I do a reconnaissance walk in the dark of night while the other campers are there. With a plan to, if they don't book their site, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Next year, you better book early. Because your site has trees and there's a little stream and the trickling of the water at night. Close to the bathrooms. Power out there. All the important stuff, really. We get good at this and we make camping. But I want to tell you, moving isn't easy. So I want to give us three quick points from the scripture. Because what I've learned about God in all these years of following, I've followed God passionately for about 26 years now is that God gets what He wants when He wants it. Because He's God. (laughs) He gets what He wants. And He wanted His people in the promised land. That's what He wanted. They chose not to listen. So a whole generation missed out. First of all, point number one, the desert generation. A whole generation of people. So everyone in the community of God over 40 didn't enter. It's quite scary when you've just turned 40. (laughs) Like, I I would have been in a few months ago. If that was now, awkward. What are we doing? Everyone. So, So, this whole generation would have been born and grown up in slavery. They would have seen God do mighty works. They would have gone on this journey and they spent 40 years in a desert only to die in a desert, even though there was a promise of a land flowing with milk and honey on the other side of a river. They stayed in a desert and they just wandered around. They were a lost generation. I think we've got to ask the question, what had they seen? See, they were the original recipients of the Deuteronomy call. Go, break camp. They were the desert generation. What did they see? Number one, they'd seen liberation and freedom from slavery, real terms. I mean, we, we sing of chains, and sometimes we struggle to see them. We forget our own chains. I saw a man this holiday who I was part of a deliverance process that was radical. He was an ex-cop. He had murdered people. And who knows, that'll do stuff to your soul. And the gospel got into his life and started to bring healing and started to deal with ugly things like racism and pride and a whole bunch of things and destruction. And we spot hour upon hour of prayer as deliverance and God was demons were leaving this man. I got to see him. I got to see him with his family now and with kids. A loving man taking his family for a week and a man who couldn't even love himself 10 years ago. Why? Because chains came off. Spiritual, real Powerful chains that hold. This people had seen the plagues. They were in physical chains, generation upon generation. They were fed, ate only what they were given. They were whipped and they were beaten and their children could be killed with no implication by their imprisoners. And they saw the plagues. They saw the river turn to blood. They saw the frogs. My worst personal plague, just saying, that one. The lice and gnats, close second. The, the wild animals or flies, the pestilence of the livestock, the boils breaking out upon everyone. Every time, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go so they may worship me. Where? In the wilderness. And God says another plague. He sends the thunderstorm of hail and fire. He sends the locusts and finally the, the darkness for three days, but Pharaoh didn't listen. And God sends... And brings death to every firstborn child in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh relents and says, go. They saw God fight for them in real, real ways. And then they went on a journey. And Pharaoh still stupidly chased them. And God opened up a sea for them to walk through. They saw that with their eyes. They saw the miracles of God. And then God brings them to the land. And they sent ten spies and a negative report going, what do they choose to do? See, they forget. Our God is a God of wonders. We can sing it. But when we forget that God still wants to do wonders through us, we get stuck. God wants to do wonders through you. He didn't just want to do wonders in you. He wants to do wonders with you and through you. That's why He'll show you His wonders. He'll show you His grace. And He'll show you that He is a miracle worker and a way maker. Why? So that He can take you on a journey of becoming a partner of the miracle worker and the way maker. This ge- what had this generation seen, this lost generation lacked faith? They had seen God feed them in a desert. And it says in Exodus 16, after this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to his need. They grumbled and they moaned. So God provided something. What is it? And the dew and the, the the mist left and they realized it's this food they didn't know what it but, but sustained them year after year, day after day, six days a week, and on the sixth day they collect double so that on Sunday they could feed themselves and rest. God says, I'm a provider, I'm a miracle worker. They had seen that. We can be the same, guys. We, we, can, we can be the same. We can see the miracles. I've seen people whose bodies have been healed walk away from Jesus. And Jesus healed ten lepers. How many came back and said thank you? One. We take the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us today our daily bread. And what do we do? Our Father who art, us to, who art in heaven, give us our daily bread. says it never starts with your daily bread. You make the gospel so small when you start with your daily bread, pray, thy kingdom come. And you know what you get? You get your daily bread. And we start inverting things like the Lord's prayer and understanding what God's come and understanding. what happens is we start trusting ourselves more than our Father who art in heaven, even though we art on earth. And everything starts getting inverted and we start seeing god as our divine baker providing manna on the day rather than god the glorious king in control of everything orchestrates brings freedom and life breaks chains i don't need a divine baker i need a king see david desert living we start living for the next meal from god rather than the next miracle from god we were designed to see miracles But we start settling for meals. God says, I'm a miracle worker. I'm a way maker. I want to show my people miracles again. Will you be the generation who will cry out for a city? Not get comfortable in the suburbs, but use intercessory prayer and prayer. Whatever it is and whatever story, and maybe just even share it on Facebook to your world that God is doing something. And maybe just an invitation to someone in a drive across the city to go and worship with people who need to see Jesus. And maybe you know what you might see? Miracles. See, the amazing thing, there was a King Nebuchadnezzar in the story of Daniel. He was a Babylonian king, a, a worshiper of a foreign god, and he saw miracles. He says, the God of wonders wants to, to he, where's his where's scripture? I don't want to misquote him. An unbelieving king. The God of wonders wants to wonder in our generation. No, I've totally not got that scripture here. Let me just tell you what happens. God does miracles with Meshach, Shadrach, and Amenico, then Daniel, and this foreign king, because of the faithfulness of God and the miracles of God, this foreign king starts singing a worship song to the glorious, wonder-working God. But you know what? There's never been a shortage of people who recognize the wonders and the glory of God. And yet there's still Jesus came and said, the workers are few. He's calling us at this time. See, the issue is not, is he a God of wonders? The issue for these people in this last generation was, Is he a God of wonders who wants to do wonders through us? It's a different question. It demands a different answer. Number two, fear leaves you camping rather than glamping. I couldn't think of a better title. So, if you don't know what glamping is, it's just a very upmarket form of camping. But you see, what happened 40 years earlier is, and I'm not going to read the scriptures, you can see it all in Numbers chapter 13, verse 1 to 33. But they they standing on the foreign land. God has spoken. He's done all these miracles. They sent 12 spies and some choice young leaders from the different tribes. And 10 come back with, well, actually, they all come back with one report. Let me read that one report. They all say this. They gave this report to Moses. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here it is. Here's the fruit. They all gave that report. But then it says, but the people who live there are Powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live in the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up said with them, We can't attack those people. They are stronger. Verse 33. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak's, Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Ever felt like a grasshopper in your own eyes? Maybe you're sitting at your desk and saying, God's called me to start a business. But then you see the challenges, you see the hill country, and you go, but I'm just a grasshopper. Maybe you've thought, well, maybe God's called me to... Change lives and stories, or even preach the gospel, or, or, or just speak to my neighbor, and yet you start thinking about it. The more you think about it, you were feeling good about it, but now you feel like just a grasshopper. See, that's what happened here. And I think it's because their process of decision making to actually break camp was wrong. Let me tell you what their process was. They did a pros and cons process. Anyone ever done a pros and cons page? Line down the middle, pros. Land flowing with milk and honey, great fruit, cons, Amalekites, Nephilim, giants, challengers, mountains to climb, river to cross. Hmm. Decision. God provided us with manna and quail in the desert. Why should we go anywhere? He's providing for us. Looks pretty good. We're we getting our food every day, or also that that we're pretty good at this desert thing. We're a whole generation who became really good at doing the desert thing. So we get good at it. We don't mind the dust on our face and the 17 layers of dust that has formed upon us because we got used to it and it protects us from the sun that beats down on us every day. We forget the promises and we start making good and self-justifying why we shouldn't move. And so what happens is the cons start outweighing the pros and the decision is made, stay in the desert, keep eating manna and quail and die in the desert. What they forgot is that God is a God of wonders. Wonders who keeps his promises. See, they forgot that God defeated Pharaoh, and they forgot that God wanted to do wonders to them. See, it says in Deuteronomy one thirty two, Moses is preaching back, and he says, in spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord who went ahead of you on your journey. He says, you did the pros and cons, but you factored out one big thing called God. And I'm telling you, Christians, I'm telling you, believers, in 2019, many, many, many do the same. We do the pros and cons, and the, we look at the bank statements. We look at the thing, where should I live? What should I do? And we do the pros and cons, and we forget that there is a God of wonders above us, beyond us, who has done miracles before, wants to do miracles again, and doesn't want us to live in a desert anymore. He doesn't want us to be good desert dwellers who are able to get water from a stone Ah. Oh, They couldn't even get running water in the desert. God says, I'll take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And they choose to stay. There's got to be something good about the desert that they chose to stay where they were stuck. 38 years passed. And then they decide to go. And that's the end of the story. I've just blown the whole story, if you didn't know it. But the next generation go. The next generation go. And you know what hasn't changed? The Amalekites haven't shrunk. And they haven't got bigger. They are still bigger than him. The mountains are still massive and the river is still probably in flood. But God is great. And they can see their king, their miracle working God. And for the first time they see him and every other thing. They don't seem like grasshoppers anymore because their king is above them. And greater than them. You see, fear kills the call. It kills courage. It kills conviction to move when God speaks. I want us to be a people who hear God's voice and courage rises up. And the call of God becomes a clear thing and conviction. And men and women say, I'm moving to Joburg I'm moving overseas because God is with me. And God is calling me to tackle high mountains. Yes. We don't. We aren't called those because you want to run, you will end up running around a desert. Unless God is with you and taking you into Something of His promised land. And lastly, trusting God brings the promises. I, I literally have one message in life. If you asked me to preach one thing, it would be this. Trust God. Our Father who art in heaven, I trust you. It's the only prayer I need. It says in Deuteronomy 2, and Moses speaks and says, Now this decision, says, set out now again, cross the Arnon Gorge. It doesn't sound easy to cross. That's not gorge, it's George, or is it Gorge. Gorge. See, I have given you into hand of Sihon the Amorite. I've I've given you, I've given you their land. And this generation starts making plans. And this generation trusts him. him. See, as Christians, we often make the statement, things like, it's not about the destination, it's the journey. So we justify the journey in the desert. Because God once upon a time spoke, I let my people go so they may worship me in the wilderness. But then God spoke again. So we hold on to the promise of, well, we'll take wilderness then, but God says, I've got more for you, and we stay in the wilderness. He says, I've got so much more for you. See, before they could advance or take the hill country or take possession of their hand, they had to learn something, something they'd always struggled with, trusting God. And so there's this beautiful story of the book of Exodus. Read it. It's glorious. It's God's journey of His people through those 40 years. It's the Exodus, them leaving Slavery and getting to freedom. But they never get into the promised land in that story. But right at the end, the last two verses of the Exodus. Can I read them to you? Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift... They did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, and in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. What's happened? In 40 chapters and 40 years, God has taken a people who would not listen, a people who stubbornly chose their own safety, stubbornly chose to not see their God, and He taught them to be a people who trusted that when the cloud by day or the fire by night moved, they would begin to move. And if it didn't move, they would stay. Who are we? We are called to be people who when God moves, we move. When God doesn't move, we don't move. We are people who follow God. That's what he's looking for. That's what he always wanted from his people. He wanted a people who would trust him. That's who he's still looking for. See, God is looking for people. When he moves, they move. When he calls, they respond. When he speaks, they listen. Because ultimately, that's what trust is. See, what fights trust? Arrogance. I, I know better. What fights trust? Pride. I've got this. It's about me. Self-sufficiency, self-obsession, even insecurity about God. You see, there's still a call, church, today, and it's holiday time, and it's cold outside, and maybe we just want to go home and get in blankets, but I want to tell you there's still a call. Break camp. Take the hill see country and take possession of the land. Why? Because the kingdom of God comes before my daily bread. And when I get that, I start living a bigger story called the gospel of Jesus Christ. I start making decisions based on where is my king moving and how is he leading me rather than what looks convenient right now. Because often a desert looks convenient. Why? Because my little water pound over there, I've got my tree over my head. Forget the fact it could die tomorrow. And I've got my tent and I'm good at this. God's saying, I never made you for the wilderness. See, we settle Man and quail looks good after 10 years of eating it. You find 17 different ways to eat it. But it was never meant to be a full meal for God's people. It was never meant to be a satisfying story for God's people. See, they had community in the desert. They even had worship, and yet God kept calling them to the promised land. Breaking camp's not easy. It demands something. One story, and then we're done. There's a guy named Peter Moon. He was part of a movement in the late 1800s, early 1900s called the one-way missionaries. They were called the one-way missionaries because they would buy a one-way ticket to lands where others had been persecuted or killed to preach the gospel. They were so committed and convinced that the gospel needed a reach that they laid their life down to reach. And he went to a place called the, the, the New Hebrides where headhunters lived. And every other missionary had gone there died. He bought his one-way ticket And he lived there for 50 years until he died. And the tribe that he'd ministered to and preached the gospel to buried him. And they said this, and they put this on his tombstone. They said, when he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. I got to walk around Durban where I've done most of my life. Where we left the jobs we loved and the careers to to do something we felt God called us. It's not everyone's story. It was our story. And God graciously took me with my boys. And I said, and we met Ian, a man whose life was a mess when we met him. And my little boy Judah asked questions. And he sometimes gets frustrated that our family do so much church because we generally hear all day Sunday. And he's processing that. But then I started to tell him about Ian's story and how we had the privilege of being something a part of that. And then he asked questions about my mate who graciously taken us on holidays and loved us he's why dad and I got to tell him about the story when that guy gave his life at 22 years old an arrogant arrogant model accountant he had everything going for him and now we love that guy in our home in our life group for year after year every Tuesday night dirting our house drinking our Milo using our two-ply toilet paper I got to tell my kid and I tell him the details because now he looks and he sees something and he doesn't know the story see we forget the stories of God's graciousness and kindness We forget that he's used us to be a part of miracles. Sometimes I forget when I'm laying hands on people that God has done miracles before and he'll do miracles again. And it's got nothing to do with me. All he's looking for is faith. It's all he's looking for. Life changes church. God's got us on a story. Don't let it just be a macro story. Look at what our church are doing. Right now, it's more than that. The greatest testimony for me would be in your life and your life. And your story that you would break camp today. Break camp. Break camp. Maybe you don't even know where you're going. I'm telling you, break camp. Pull up the tent pegs. Because God's got a different story. He's not called you to live in the wilderness. That was for a generation. We get to live with Jesus now. We get to live with His presence and His favor and His kindness. This is not some prosperity gospel preach. This is the truth about what it means to be a son or daughter of the living God. I said one more story, I lied. One more story. <laughs> Went to Durban and its family and its friends and its people and that's something of our story and our kids don't really know about it. But one of the things I, I prayed, I said, God, let it be a great holiday for my kids, please. Because to be honest, December we had leave and my friend's best friend's daughter got hit by a car. They didn't have a holiday. Last year their mom was sick and the last year, years their mom's been sick. I said, God, this needs to be a great holiday for my kids, Please. And on the last Sunday I preached here before and we on holiday, a man sat over there. He came up to me. He said, I heard you coming to do Yeah, I said, you don't know, but I actually own a mountain bike business now. And I've got 60 mountain bikes that during the school holiday just sit there, come and fetch them. My kids love mountain biking. And they don't have fancy mountain bikes. They went and picked up fancy mountain bikes for two weeks and got free mountain bike adventure things while they were there see, that thing was important to me and my father knew it. And he also said, I've never called you to live in the wilderness. And I could get to sit down with my kids and say, look at these bucks that your dad paid nothing for. Because your father paid it all. And he sees you. And you can trust him. And if you're in the middle of a desert and there's no water coming from the rock, you can still trust him. And their little six-year-old and eight-year-old and ten-year-old hearts start going, I think I'm seeing God. It's the most important journey. Can we stand this morning? Thank you for listening. It is such a privilege. I feel very privileged to do what we do and do it with the amazing people we do. But God's got a story for you. For one man, it was one thing for you. It's another thing. You're God's children. He's got mountains and high country for you to take. Maybe right now you're struggling with addiction. Break camp. Maybe your marriage is average at best. Break camp. Maybe you're hitting a midlife crisis and you don't know where to go. I want to tell you, break camp and trust God. Because He is worthy and He is faithful and He is the God of wonders who wants to pull you into His story. Which is a wonderful story. Can we close our eyes? If you're saying, actually, I need a break camp, but in these next three weeks, God, I want to see you. Will you lift your hands with me this morning as I lift my hands? And I say, God. We're not just doing church. We are coming into the presence of the glorious King. And Your word says where the word is preached, signs and wonders will follow. And I pray in these next weeks and months, we will hear and see of the signs and wonders of the glorious God, the way maker, the miracle maker, the chain breaker. I pray, God, let it not be the zeal or the passion of a preacher, but the power of your word that brings freedom and life. Courage to businessmen at this time. In these times of economic recession, I pray courage to businessmen to stand and to take a hold and to challenge the high mountain tops. To Courage to salespeople. Courage to people in economies that are under pressure. Courage to parents who, who things are tough and they are precious. Courage and strength. Break camp. Take the hill country. Take possession of the land. Why? Because God is with us. God Is with us. Will you say that with me? God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. We worship your king. We praise you. We give you glory and honor. Mighty king.